the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation. A sound investment for both time and and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com, or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. <laughs> we, are, we are here, and I am being made fun of in my... <laughs> Soapy, you turned it up, and now it's too loud. Oh, I'm uh, too loud? Can you hear me? That's your problem, right? Welcome, everybody. This is The Bible Live. We're glad to be with you tonight, uh, another Sunday evening, as we get into the Scriptures. What did I do with my... Did I give you both of my lists? Uh, we are into uh, we're in the, the book of... We're doing... Uh, Luke Ruth, and... Um, we're going to start with Ruth and then Luke. Well, what did I do? I have my list of questions here right here with me, and I seem to have misplaced them. Maybe John will help me get it done. But we're into the, the gossip. We finish up... Uh, let me see. I think we finish up a little bit from the book of Judges. Well, there's a couple things in Judges, but, you know, we, yeah. we, we beat those Judges to death, you might say. We did. We pretty much uh, went through those... Uh, well, not uh, not all 12 of them. We really focused a lot on, Sol- on uh, Samson. And then we... Uh, I, I I guess we discussed to some degree little Ruth too, didn't we? Our little we, friend. Well, the caller it was going to teach something on Ruth, so he started off our show by talking about Ruth. Now, if he was listening tonight, this should be the night that he should call. Oh, uh, because we read this past week in our reading schedule the entire book. That well, it's not like it's that big. It's in one reading, uh, four chapters, I believe. We read the story of this little Moabitess named Ruth that has become so uh, dear to all of us. Uh, I, I, I love that story. It's just sweet, it's tender, but it's very, uh, it, it's content-filled. It's got a lot of significance for us as believers uh, today, as God's people. So uh, that really helps. 
uh, from the uh, book of Ruth. And then uh, we went on and started the opening chapters, I think the first eight chapters. Very well, we say eight, yeah. Of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, the only, the only um, Gentile author in the New Testament, if I understand correctly, if I remember correctly, a uh, Greek physician, uh, doctor, he gives us an insight, a perspective of Jesus that it is said to be uh, his focus is uh, on the Messiah as a man, the the, the manhood, the, the human nature of the Messiah, uh, emphasized and, and kind of um, laid out for us in his gospel. So we'll, maybe we can talk a little bit about what that means. But you can give us a call. You can be a part of the program for the next 90 minutes, 340-9585. That's area code 210-340-9585. And we'll, probably, we'll give that number out uh, often here uh, over the airwaves. And you can give us a call if you'd like to sound off, talk a little and, bit, and ask I, a question. Uh, I really do not want to take away all the audience from the Oscars tonight. Oh, <laughs> Are we in competition yes, with them? Yes, the Oscars are on. Yet so you've again. Got choice, Oscar or Jesus, right? That's so, right. So, at any rate, I'm going to suggest that if the gentleman was, is listening that called last week about Ruth, he could call tonight and we could talk about Ruth. And uh, do you know how you say Ruth in Hebrew? is root. Root. Like R-O-O-T. But it's root. At any rate, so, so here's something very interesting about her. In the time of uh, Ruth, time of the Judges, there's a very famous statement that became apparent. And that statement is, and you'll recognize how this gets adapted into the New Testament. All right. Uh, the statement was, when one guy would go after another and they'd be debating, arguing about a philosophical or a theological point, one would say... Take the toothpick from between your teeth. The response would be, you take the beam from between your eyes. Do you recognize that? I do. That was a, that was a Hebrew saying, you say? <laughs> that, was, that started back during the time of Ruth. Is that right? That is right. They had toothpicks. Well, they yes, they they cleaned their teeth. Yes. How modern can you get? I mean, well, really, honestly, you, the, 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 they were an advanced society. You might say they had pearl whites. <laughs> take the toothpick out of your, uh, and, uh, and so they, and the comeback would be, yeah. we'll take the Being, log. Yeah, the, the log, and you you're familiar with that in the new. Sure, Testament. Jesus says something like yeah. that. Uh, let me see. Uh, take the speck out of your eye and the uh-huh. log out of yours. Uh-huh. But that you can see, you can almost hear the same thing. So. I'm assuming that somewhere along the line, probably a little delicate translation took place that may have changed a couple of the words, but the, it's very clear. The, the, yeah, the concept is there. I, so do you think Jesus got a laugh with that line every now and then? I've heard that he is a stand-up guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you look for little bits of humor, and I think there are some uh, little bits of humor in some of yeah. Jesus' uh, sermons and so on. I, I think he is a... Well, yeah, that's one of the things I remember when the Jesus film, the famous Jesus film that's been translated in what, I don't know, a thousand languages or so, 1,200. Uh, oh, would you like a- to know? I happen to know a few things about that. What? Well, yeah. Okay. In the year 400 A.D., uh-huh. I'm using A.D. because that's what everybody knows. Right. Um, the Jews would use B.C.E., but uh-huh. that's okay. Everybody uses A.D. Uh-huh. So in the year 400 A.D., 
the New Testament, as it's called, was in 500 languages. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. But by the year 500 A.D., it was reduced. Wait a minute. Now, wait. By, by the year. What? You just said 500 A.D. Uh, no, I didn't. I said by in the year 400 A.D. Oh, okay. 400. Oh, I got you. Okay. Now, the reason it's confusing because the number 500 comes up twice. But in the year 400 A.D., the New Testament was in 500 languages. Okay. That's impressive. But... By the year 500 A.D. Just 100 years later? Uh-huh. It was down to one. Latin. Exactly so. Now, the question is, you don't have to marvel too much to figure out what happened in that time period. I, 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 I may have to marvel quite a bit. Maybe not too much. Oh, okay. Anyway. <laughs> but, uh, but the point is, those are some actual facts. And what's fascinating to me is... In a hundred years, when they decided in Latin that it should be Latin, which, of course, was the growth of the Catholic Church, they wanted to make sure that you had to have no Latin to do the Bible. So there's a lot of stories about how things were bought, paid for, sometimes taken, collected, whatever. But by the year 500, it was reduced to one Latin. Now... Is now, you are talking about the, what is called the New Testament. I am talking. It had nothing to do with the Jew, on the Jewish side of the Bible, just the Christian side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So don't you find that fascinating? I do. Uh, is that, does that correspond to what we call the um, Dark Ages? Or uh, No. You know, I, 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 my, my, my history gets wound up in my brain here about... The Dark Ages, the Renaissance, and so on, the flowering of knowledge again, and, and that sort of thing. I got you. In some way, that I remember that, uh, generally speaking, those uh, the eras of that that time, those yes. uh, particular time uh, blocks of time, were r- related to somehow the, the uh, propagation of the scriptures. I think in the middle fifteen hundreds. Is when um, Gutenberg's printing press came in uh, 1542 or something like that, and Gutenberg's printing press, and they began to print the Bible, and it began to be more available, and that I believe is related to what the flowering of the, the or the Enlightenment, the the um, Renaissance. Well, of course, there was the guy Tinsdale, and uh, mm-hmm. he actually uh, no, the name escapes me, but there was a translation. That was done, and maybe there's some errors, but I, I think it might have been Tinsdale. But he actually hit out in Germany. Or Wycliffe, one of the, one of the two. Wycliffe. There yeah. you go. Good choice. I knew I had the right guy. <laughs> so he was hiding in part of Germany when he was uh-huh. doing this. Uh-huh. Well, what people don't know, Martin Luther, who's given a lot of credit for you know protesting the Catholic Church, etc., uh-huh. uh, in his 90 theses that he tacked on the door and six months later a nun left and married him and they had 15 kids but who's counting anyway so and i'm sure they just met for the first time after he left but the point is um they uh was hiding there his translation they said had some errors and the king of england did not like it however this is fascinating. More than 75% of what Martin Luther has given credit for translating the Bible was Wick, uh, Wick, uh, say it again, Wycliffe. Wycliffe, yeah. Wycliffe's translations. And mm-hmm. then he took Wycliffe's work, translated it into Latin or German, and Martin Luther gets most of the credit, but actually it came from Wycliffe. 
How about that? Isn't that? Then, of course, yes. right after, not too long later, was the Wittenberg, the uh, Gutenberg uh, printing press. Mm-hmm. And I've seen one of the original Bibles. And it's probably one of the greatest works of art that a person oh, can see. They're amazing, it's got yeah. got gold and red and... Just it's just beautiful. Yeah, the the uh, well, the printing process had to do with making a um, a template, and it was stamped onto the paper uh, as such. It, it was a very interesting process. I I've seen it. It's been some time since I've watched it. But uh, here's an interesting thing for you. Uh, when I first started looking at the the Christian scriptures, the New Testament, started mm-hmm. reading it, I was told by many you know Protestants that the Catholics had added what they called the middle books, the Deuterocanicals, the Apocrypha. Mm-hmm. I was told the Catholics added that. After I became a little more acquainted and started reading things and looking up things and talking to real experts, I found out that was not true. Actually, the very first King James Bible included the Apocrypha, the Apocrypha, or the Deuterocanicals, and they had what's called the middle books in it. It was only subsequent to that, in the 1800s, that they were removed by the Protestants. Hmm. So they were always part of the Bible, Catholic and the Protestant, until it was reconsidered by the British Bible Society to be not appropriate. And I've, I've gone over them and over them, those middle books, and tried to figure out now what, what is inappropriate about them. But I will say Jerome, one of the greatest translators that ever lived, he's just brilliant. I've actually gone over to a Catholic institution, sat down and gone through his book, and it's like, you know, like 30 inches thick. He did mm-hmm. a great job. And in there, he's got little sign- signets uh, that he says what he thinks of certain books. He was concerned about the Deuterocanicals because he said he could not locate them. He only was told orally that they existed in Hebrew. But he couldn't find them in Hebrew, so he put a little asterisk by them, a signet they call it, and they were and he's saying, I couldn't find them, so I want to tell everybody I can't find them. I'm only getting them from the Greek. So that's some fascinating history, don't you think? Oh, it is. Yeah, I, it is. It is. And uh, I, I guess I'm always quick to... Uh, tell Going folks. Slow for guys, quick. Go ahead. <laughs> for, for guys, quick. Well, I, I'm always uh, quick to try to add to a discussion like that. that I mean, it, funny things have happened. No, I don't mean funny things. I mean, seeing things have happened with the text and with the scriptures and with these uh, uh, different documents o- over the centuries. There's no doubt about it. And, and yet I would be quick to say that th- what we have today is probably the best, most faithful uh, rendition of the books that we that we do have, the Gospels and I agree. the Hebrew Scriptures. I've got to say, it's amazing right what, now today, what mm-hmm. the Christians have, in my opinion, and I I, I I'm probably just a step above a pedestrian, mm-hmm. but uh, in my opinion... But you are an expert in your own opinion. Well, I am in my own opinion. Yes. But the point is is that the Protestants truly have what I think is the best translation they may have ever had in the history of Christianity today. Yeah. And there are different versions. And I go down through, uh, and quite frankly, I, I and I have one side of my little study area in my den, you know, I have on one side just all the Christian translations. On the other side, I got the Jewish. They don't mix. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Even there. Huh? Yeah, no, no, listen, listen, all joking aside, but yeah, I do have all these different Christian Bibles. I have some of the first King James, uh-huh, Bible, the uh-huh. first one. Very hard to read because it's got the old English. But anyway, as you go down through it, you'll find out that 
some things, even the original King James, seemed to have certain things that were twinked in it. Now, in the new King James, I got to say, they've corrected those things that were twinked. But uh, but I my personal, it depends if you're reading for uh, literature, or you want to be Devotion. Liter- literary, or if you want to be most accurate on translation. Mm-hmm. My personal taste is most accurate on translation. I also have the Greek and the and a couple of versions of those. But I uh, my for accuracy of translation, I find to be the uh, the NASB. That's pretty darn accurate from mm-hmm. the Greek, and they don't mm-hmm. do bad on the Hebrew. But um, but I got to say on the uh, some of the others. Now, but you know there is a there's a three hour talk among all, on online between all the editors of the Bibles, mm-hmm. the real editors. And so you hear the original old King James guy, New King James, NASB, and and they all are very, very honest. They say, look, each one of us published for a different purpose. Mm-hmm. Some for accuracy, literal translation. So some are for literal, some are for literary, mm-hmm. and some are for spiritual development. Mm-hmm. So they're cha- so that's what they're driving at. That's why some of these translations have different ways of phrasing things. And, and when you hear the discussion among these three or four, it's a three-hour thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you actually hear them, they're very honest, and they say, no, we publish for this purpose. Yeah, and sure. And, and I've, I've studied, not to the extent that you have by any means, but I've, I've read. Uh, you can read uh, if you have these different versions of the Bible. Uh, I think in all of them. If you read the, there's some, there's an opening section, kind of a preamble uh, to each of the versions that are produced, and they tell you the the priorities that they establish. They tell you that point of view right. from which they translated sure. both the the uh, Hebrew and the Greek, and and some of them are for uh, ease of reading. For example, I, I know the NLT, the New Living Translation that I read from in in our broadcast. Uh-huh. Was um, it was I think if I remember correctly, uh, written with the idea of the ease of reading. Uh, I, I think the idea was a what, fourth or sixth grade reading um, schedule. That was the uh, or fourth or, or sixth grade reading level. So that it was the ease of reading for yes. people for whom English was not their first uh, language uh-huh. and so on, that it would be clear that they could and very understandable. And I think in, in essence, I would agree with you that that's the thing in essence that mm-hmm. a person should get. Uh, I don't know that it's, it certainly doesn't affect their from a Christian point of view, there's salvation mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. I got that. I guess that's what I was trying to emphasize. I don't think any of these, uh, they don't really make a difference in terms of the essence of the message from the Hebrew Scriptures or uh-huh. or, or the New uh-huh. Testament as well. Uh-huh. The essence of the Scriptures are sure. not affected. The, 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 I, I don't think any any significant meaning has changed. Or, no, I, I don't see that the meaning sense. is lost, and and I don't think you necessarily have to be a scholar. I don't, but I really don't know how to need to know how to make a cherry pie in order for me to tell you if it tastes good or not. 
Well, that's good. Uh, I'm glad you don't know how to make a cherry pie. I'm not sure I would trust it anyway, Jacob, but let's go to John. He's on our line. We're we're kind of waxing eloquent here about all things. uh, We're waxing. We're waxing. uh, But then we'll go to Ruth, because Ruth has got some fascinating stuff. Maybe I'll drag John into this conversation. Good deal. John, good to hear from you tonight. Glad you're tuning in. Uh, I'd like to hear what's on your mind. What are you up to these days? Oh, just here. So, Peter, I got a, a question, and I, I, I needed your opinion on it. On actually, two questions, and one of them is uh, Christians using the word. Do you think it's appropriate using the word reverend, or do you think reverend just belongs to God? I I tend to agree with with the first with the uh second i i don't like reverend for some reason I, people have often I, I i understand the use of language and and the time it, it's the normalcy it's the and i don't think people uh, don't people don't think of the meaning of things anymore uh when they say things it's, it's just a title but i've always been yeah. uncomfortable with it even myself because i'm often referred to as the reverend soapy Do- you know soapy dollar and yeah. so on uh but i I don't, I don't like that and i'm also uncomfortable i'll be honest with you i'm uncomfortable with the whole word father uh it, it, in fact, isn't there a scriptural instruction or guidance to not don't call anyone your father? You know, uh, exactly. there's one God and Father of all. And I, I just always been uncomfortable with it. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think of people as evil or wicked. Use them. I mean, it's just common language and so on. But my goodness, I, I guess sometimes. Bad things start out very innocently, and and you can get into a bad. I I do think there's some danger in it. Uh, tell me what. Have you always felt that way, or did you kind of go through an evolution of thought and uh, as you developed that attitude? Well, I believe the same way you you did um, using the word reverence because it says I think in the Book of Psalms that to reverence God, and when we looked that up, and I was looking at the Schofield Bible, and uh, it said there that the word means to fear God, mm-hmm. and when you use it on man, you're not supposed to fear man. You're supposed to fear God. Mm-hmm. Fear God, and, and uh, the beginning yeah. of wisdom, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and so on. I'm I'm with you 100. percent I don't know. Uh, I, I suppose uh, most secular folk from the world, or maybe even maybe even a lot of believers, would say, "Well, don't worry, you're making too much out of something." But I really have been always very uncomfortable. I, I probably, in my personal language, I probably never use. I don't think I ever use that. Or I, mm-hmm. I and it, sometimes it's a little difficult because if you're talking to a Catholic priest or someone, everybody, it's they introduce. Oh, my, I'm Father Jacobson, or I'm Father this, and, yep. and I just never, uh, I never use it. I just avoid it, trying to be as tactful and and, and as respectful as I can, but I just don't use the phrase. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I'll get trapped into it because it's just uh, I want to be you notice respectful. Notice used the name Jacobson, which would be Jewish. Yeah. He's talking about a Catholic priest. I found that fascinating. Yeah, that was I. I, I noticed that I, I did yeah, that that's too. That's okay because you know, I think when you go into confession, you should take your lawyer with you and you can introduce the priest <laughs> to your lawyer and say, "This is Mr. Cohen. He's here to represent me on this issue." <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. it's, it's a mixed-up yeah. world, Jacob, uh, that we live in. Yeah. Anyway, what was the and second the other, idea? Uh-huh. The second question was going back to the prodigal son. Uh, my wife and I have been having a discussion. Do you think that uh, the prodigal son is a safe person that's 
straight away or is a lost person that came to God? Oh, my lands. What? Uh, hmm. I don't know. You know, I've never... I've never uh, thought of that, John, I, and I'll tell you why. Um, I, I don't. I, I'm not sure we can know because that wasn't the intent of the story, and that's mm-hmm. that is a that's a problem sometimes with parables, is that uh, they're allegorical, and if you and they have an intent, they have one particular lesson they're trying to uh, to communicate. But often we take them and we try to make them. Uh, we try to make them allegorical. We try to make a one-to-one correlation with a lot more things. In other words, we try to uh-huh. we try to make it a picture, a broader picture than it was really intended to be. Uh, and so I think uh-huh. I think the significance of the story of the lost son it, it's it's found there in the list. You know, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. Uh, there's a list of these stories that are told, and they have a significance. They have a meaning that Jesus is trying to transmit, I think, to communicate. Uh, and, and we probably shouldn't make more uh, one-to-one, you know, to, to where it's really a picture of all of, of the redemptive plan and the story. Uh, I, I think it's more limited than that. But I, I, I don't know. I, I don't I, – I, I think the principle of forgiveness is needed for both, whether you're coming to faith in God uh, as a new believer, not not a believer, but you're coming a, 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 in conversion. There is a there uh-huh. is a clear sense of forgiveness and that God meets us, and 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 also as a believer, uh, forgiveness is still a part of our life experience, and uh, uh-huh. and we still have that as believers as well. So I think both could be. Maybe both could be appropriate. Is that too? Am I both ways. am I avoiding the <laughs> the issue yeah. if I say no, no. both? No, I, I I think it could be used uh, both both ways. You mm-hmm. know, well, the, yeah, because the intent was to communicate the kindness, the mercy, the I suppose of the Father, uh, and, and the availability of forgiveness to us. Uh, both as converts and then also as believers, the coming back to uh, fellowship with God. Um, interesting, uh, interesting question, though. Uh, it's a beautiful story. Did you see the uh, the funeral of Dr. Graham this past week? Uh, no, we did not. If you get a chance, you will really. Uh, it, it is really great. It was, I thought, very uplifting and very, very clear about uh, the message of the gospel and Dr. Graham's life and so on. But his the younger, let me see, is it his, was it Dr. Graham's daughter? Yes, yes, yes. that's right. Uh, the younger daughter tells her, she took, she kind of stole the whole show, I mean, in a way. It was a beautiful, beautiful service. All the children spoke. And she told her story, and it was really related to the prodigal son because she, you know, she was divorced twice, and so she had a lot of struggles in her life. And she said, if you don't want to embarrass your father, you certainly don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. You know, it was really a very humorous moment. But uh, uh-huh. it, she related it, and she told the story, and it just so clearly reminded you of the prodigal son uh, story. Uh, so you, you, if y'all get a chance, I know you and your family would love to see that. It, it's, uh, it was very, very touching, I, I, I thought, for sure. Well, listen, there's our music, John. we got to run on, all right? 340-9585. We'll be right back. 
offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me, plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. With spring in the air, seems like a good time to think of something Jesus said about flowers. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. King Solomon lived almost a thousand years before Jesus said that. And yet Jesus talks about him as if he saw him with his own eyes. Well, he did. In fact, Jesus not only saw Solomon, he knew him and loved him. Just like he sees, knows, and loves you. Jesus is the eternal, all-powerful Son of God, and that's why he went on to encourage you to trust God for everything you need. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You can learn more about trusting God at findpeacewithgod.net. That's findpeacewithgod.net. We're the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. For so long, I'd had that little hidden sin. It was a secret and no one knew. So I'd convince myself it really wasn't hurting anyone. But, but what if my wife or kids found out? Mm. Harmless? It would have ruined me. The problem was, who could I talk to? I needed someone I could confide in, but, but this was so personal. Who could I trust? He found someone to trust, and so can you. We're Faithful Counseling, the world's largest platform for faith-based professional counseling. All of our licensed and experienced counselors are qualified and certified by the state board, and many are trained in addiction counseling. But more importantly, we share your Christian values. Available 24-7 by text, messaging, phone, and video conferencing, all from the comfort of your own home. Try it for the first week free by going to FaithfulCounseling.com and use the invite code word TRUST. That's FaithfulCounseling.com and use the invite code word TRUST to get your first week free. Faithful Counseling, we're here when you need us. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. All right, John, you got some uh, new bumper music for us. What is that? Tell well, me that's Ann that. Jacob. Uh, <laughs> Bob. Did I say Bob? I went no, John. No, I say it's always, we're Soapy Dollar, and I'm saying Ann Jacob. Ann Jacob, that's right. John, what's the story behind that bumper? Who are those children? I'm not sure who, who the children are. I found 
It's a, it's a hymn, uh, Lift High the Cross. Lift High the Cross and some children singing to us. I, that's, that's, that's sweet and precious. I love all, thing child, all things childlike. That's great. Well, let's go to our phones. I, I, I know we've got someone else calling in right now. We'll get to that call in just a moment. Yeah, it's funny. we got calls. But Jacob Instead was saying during the break, let's, let's talk a little bit about the book of Ruth tonight. So uh, let's get into the book of Ruth a bit. Let's Jacob, talk a why is it? Bit about Ruth because we, we make a lot of promises and we don't. Sure, do yeah, let's get and to the it. The word promise is very important. It's a very easy thing to say, but people, it doesn't mean anything much anymore. A person makes a promise, that means you're supposed to keep it. All right, and that means we're going to talk about the. Yeah, I'm not talking about you necessarily. Sure, yeah, I know. I get but it. I'm saying that people say promise. I, I saw that movie, Radio Flyer, and his dad is lecturing the boys about the word promise. Uh-huh. And I thought that was such an interesting thing that he was saying. Because he says, let me tell you something about the word promise. It's easy to say, you promised him he could have this last bit of peanut butter or whatever. And that means you're supposed to do it. That's right. That's so. right. Well, that would be very appropriate coming from uh, a Jewish man in the Hebrew scriptures. A vow is a vow, right? Yeah. A promise is a promise. Yeah. Well, let's go to the book of Ruth. Yeah. Uh, these the, the, Now, the context is this, is this very difficult, very problematic uh, era, this time, a 300, 325-year period of the judges. There was kind of a downward spiral. The, the nation was, uh, was really declining from the after the time of Joshua, they had a strong uh, God-fearing leadership with Moses and then Joshua in the time of conflict as they went into the promised land. Mm-hmm. But then <clears throat> they entered this time of decline, generally, uh, with these 12 judges. And you can see it as you walk through that period. There's this, And it ends up, that, but we, we read the final chapters, Judges 18 through 21. There was this terrible crime committed in the town of Gebeah. It resulted in a civil war war and the death of all but 600 men from the tribe of Benjamin. So you had you know, this terrible, shameful, and, and almost embarrassing crime that takes place. And then, interesting, all, all but 600 men from the tribe of Benjamin uh, were killed in this civil war because evidently they were the tribe not responsible for, but, but at least connected to that crime, right? Is that the reason uh, they, the tribe well, of Benjamin? there is a collateral guilt. Okay, and uh, it's like this: if I, uh, my, if I'm your family, your friend, and I see you doing something, it, you're doing it. I'm not doing it, but I have a responsibility to say you shouldn't do that. And the other tribes then uh, went after Benjamin uh, because of the, and, that. And, and you know, this is so interesting because you're pointing out something very important. You know how you always say, "Oh, well, women weren't valued, etc., etc." This wasn't even a Jewish woman. And look at how the other tribes reacted to it. They wouldn't let such a thing, they actually say, such a thing has never taken place in Israel. And they all reacted and went after the tribe. That's a good observation. It really is. so where is the idea that, see, I tell you, people always get the Arab culture mixed up with the Jewish. That women don't matter, and and, uh, this would not have been something important. But, yeah, that's a very good point. I had not thought about that. And actually, Ruth, it's fascinating, is because uh, it always says that converts are welcome throughout the Torah. Uh Uh-huh. First five books. But in Ruth, we actually have a woman named. Now, what is the issue? She comes from a tribe of, you know what tribe it is, right? The the nation of the Moabites, Uh yeah. And where did they come from, Soapy? 
They are children of, uh, they were descendants of Lot. Lot, uh, Lot and his two daughters, uh, one of their uh, sons was named Moab, the other was named, um, the other was named a- Ammon, right? So the Ammonites came from there. And so these two uh, people groups came, were descendants from Lot, uh, uh, the children he had by his two by his two daughters, actually. Right. And it was incest. It's an ugly, yes. ugly, ugly. ugly uh, yeah, I was trying to avoid the word, but there well, you go. Well, That's it. No, I mean, it is what no, it is. It thing is what it is, right? One thing you got to say about the Jews when they write the story, whatever it is, it is. They, they don't they, cover they show, it up, do they? They show the pimples and the blemishes. That's right. Anyway, so what the point is, so, but the, why is the issue why is this book here uh because about ruth what's the importance about it she's from as you said the moabites well for one uh, i i i was going to point out that here we have this terrible terrible time of history and terrible things are happening and the civil war and and embarrassing you know the, the things the, the the nation uh israel seems to be kind of coming apart and leaving uh and then of course you you come, you come that ushers in the time of the kings with the uh, king Saul. Uh, Samuel now is this well, trans. Kings comes after this. I know, but Samuel is this transition person from the time of the judges, Samson being the last judge mentioned, and into the time of Samuel well, and in the kings. Why does Ruth justify but, a book of her own? But that's what I'm trying to get to. I really am trying to that that here in the midst of all that chaos and all of that wickedness and all of that decline, you have this precious little story of of a faithful little group of people in a little tiny insignificant town called Bethlehem and you have this uh, in contrast to the big story that we're just reading in Judges we have this this wonderful sweet beautiful little story of redemption of forgiveness and so on and a picture of the how the redemptive plan of God goes on uninterrupted even in the midst of all the chaos and the failure uh, I think there's a passage in the New Testament when when we are faithless he remains faithful and you kind of get a picture that that God is even in the midst of that difficulty God is still carrying out his plan do, do, do you know the these Torah people? forbids marriage to a Moabite yes there you go now then, that's what I'm trying to get yeah, oh, that's where you were headed yeah but, because well that's why she's got her own book because she's a Moabite okay and the, the Torah in uh, Deuteronomy uh, 23 verses 4 5 6 23 4 5 6 forbids marrying a Moabite and yet you've got Ruth seeming that uh, they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Are they breaking God's laws? Well, as uh, <laughs> uh, what do you think? <laughs> uh, well, that's very good. Uh, yes, yeah. Hmm. Is yeah that, I, that's very Jewish of me, is uh, it? Is well, it not? Uh, is that never answer a question with a question? That's right. Why are you asking me this? Yes, yeah. Uh, um, but the point is, is Ruth is a Moabite. Uh-huh. Her sister-in-law, uh, Ofa, is also a mm-hmm. Moabite. However, Ruth's got something very distinctive about her. And uh, would you like to know who her father was? I think I already know. Her father was... I mean, hang on, hang on, hang on. They both... Uh, oh, no, no. I said, that's, their, that's their descendants that we're talking about. Who was her father? It's told to us. Isn't yes, it? it is. Well, go ahead. Ruth's father is Eglon, the king of the Moabites. That's right. And who is he a descendant of? Eglon was one who was killed. Wasn't Eglon uh, killed by one of the judges? Uh, or is it a descendant of that Eglon? Or a descendant. But 
Let's go back. But who? her father is the king of the Moabites. She's a princess. She's uh-huh. royalty. Uh-huh. But who was her father descended from? Uh, I'm going to love it. Yeah. Okay. Um, should I take a shot in the dark or just say, no, I don't know? Oh, sure, Inspector Crusoe. <laughs> no, go for it. I don't know. Uh, do you remember a guy named Balak? Sure. And who did he hire? Balaam? To curse Balaam. Israel? Yeah, from, 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 the, uh, from yeah, the east. I guess in yeah. English you'd say, is it Balaam? Balaam, we call him. Oh, Balaam. Okay, well, Balaam and his... And his uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, Balaam is fine. Uh-huh. So... This. Balak was the king of the Moabites, yeah, and yeah. he hired Balaam to come to over and curse. try to put a curse on yeah, the people Israel. of Israel. This is her ancestors. This is who she is. Balaam or Balak? The king. Balak. 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 He was the ancestor, perhaps her grandfather. Well, I'll be. And her father is King Eglon of the Moabites. So this is a woman that's got well connections into the world of being a That Moabite. was Ruth and her sister. Uh, Ruth, for sure. Now, uh, here's the catch. If this takes place, and there's a law in Deuteronomy 23 that says, hey, you can't marry a Moabite because of the incest mm-hmm. of Lot and his daughters. Mm-hmm. That's where they spawned from. How are they doing this? Because hmm. they're not going to have a book included in the Bible that says, yeah, break God's laws. Yeah, no, that's not... What we generally um, want to see, exactly. Uh, it happened um, at times, but that's not what we want to see in this case. Uh, I don't know in what way. It, uh, I assume it has to do with the fact that she uh, converted and she said, Whether thou goest, I will go. Your God, your you people have be my hit it. Your God I was say, my I'm God. I'm the head. All right. Because when it says. First of all, the word used in the Hebrew refers to a, a man, not mm-hmm. to a woman. That's one explanation. Uh, the other is that it says the Moabite. If they're no longer in the God lineage of the Moabites, and their their uh, their God was a uh, Chemosh, and you should always remember that really those names are are not the actual names of the gods. C H E M O T H, Shemoth, I th- uh, if I remember correctly. I think, yeah. Right? Yeah, so anyway, so that's the idea. But she obviously changed. Now, yeah. that's why we have these two women. Now, and you hit it right on the head because in chapter 1, verse 16, yeah. You are it's a, a rascal. Oh, I love that verse. I memorized it okay. years ago. <laughs> well, her sister, listen to 15 first. Okay. The, uh, the, her sister-in-law, I should say. Uh, behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, that would be the Moabites, mm-hmm. and her gods return after your sister-in-law. This is Naomi recommending, hey, you need to go back to your folks. And then 16, why don't you do 16? You got it handy or no? No, you go for okay, it. Okay, well. All right, in 16, now notice the difference. Uh, Orpha went back to her people and her gods. And then in 16 is the statement that all Jews, if somebody converts to being a Jew, this is basically the statement. And treat me not to, to leave, uh, says, not uh, to follow uh, you. Ruth says in 16, uh, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from I'm following, following you. you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your You're God, my, my God. God. Now, why would she list people before she lists God? Alphabetic. 
<laughs> Perhaps your alphabet does put the I don't before know. the G's. I don't. Know. I was thinking of. I was trying does, to. In your alphabet, does P come before the G's? <laughs> well, I was thinking Hebrew. Maybe it was. Oh, yes. No. Yeah. No, very, no. very good. It's because of this, and this is why. And there are people that you know sometimes do convert to be Jewish, and mm-hmm. um, when they do, this is basically the, one of the statements they make: first the people, then the God. Now, most people are brought in because of their wanting to be close to the God, and they have some thought that this is the mm-hmm. way, this mm-hmm. is the original, this must be where God's at. Mm-hmm. But the point is this, people before the God. Why? Because if you don't like the people, you're not going to like their God. Oh, that is a very interesting observation. I, 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 I've often, I, I often have problems talk to people about, well, you know, we better start getting along because we're, we're going to live eternally with the people of God. And if you if you think badly about it, because a lot of people are very critical of, for example, of Christians or believers today, they're all a bunch of hypocrites and all this. And and you got to be careful about doing that because, you know, if, if you pretend and desire to follow God and know God, we need to love the people of God. It doesn't mean they're always right. I know we're a mess. I know we make mistakes. I know. Uh, but still, there is we are in, we are told instruct to love one another to take care for one another keep look out for each other uh, and correct one another in love and so on so uh, I like that a lot that's why people if you don't like the people you're not going to like the God uh, I, I, I that'll preach I think I'm going to well, hang on John to that. is holding up a sign uh-huh. and I think he'd like you to see a sign oh love the sinner. Uh, and hate the sin would that be uh well loosely i mean loosely yeah i i can i can you could make it fit i guess sure uh uh-huh but here's something that's also interesting so she's made a decision that the people naomi and that god the single god of the jews will be her people and her god and she goes back to israel now naomi's not really poor she still remember. She also she's a Jew. She comes from a tribe, and every tribe has some interest in the, in the inheritance of the land of Israel. Now you can sell it, but at a certain period of time, it has to revert. It reverts back so to you. So that yeah. period can be sold. So when Naomi goes back with Ruth. Um, this is why Naomi, and at the end of Ruth, it's a very short book. But the point is, is that. <clears throat> Pardon me. Samuel, as we understand, wrote this book. And he was teaching a lesson that even if this bad person with a bad history, and we all know that in the genealogy of Jesus, Ruth appears. Right. Now, uh, we all know that in her ancestry, there appears to be incest, which is a real taboo, you know. And For sure. So. But she's still listed. So what's in you cannot be held accountable for what happened in the past to other people in your family, your descendants did. You have a right to choose your own path. She chose her path. So and what's fascinating too pardon me, and this might be interesting. Did you know you know what Pentecost is, of course? Sure, fifty days after uh Passover. So right, it comes in uh, in Acts, right? In the Hebrew calendar, yes uh-huh. uh-huh. And the Hebrew word for that is Shavuot. Same idea, same thing, fifty days. Uh, one means weeks, one means fifty days. Same, same. But here's the point. Now of all the books 
of all the books that could be read by all Jews around the world, believe it or not, on what you would call Pentecost or Shavuot, the book they read is the book of Ruth. And it's not it's about a Gentile convert. In other words, they've never had the idea somebody could be excluded. But on the other hand, they also want to make some, sure somebody was sincere. Like, we both know that both these ladies, uh, Ruth and her, and her sister-in-law, uh, Orpha, uh, they both have married the two boys of Naomi. Mm-hmm. Naomi's Jewish, the boys are Jewish. Nice little Jewish boys. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, it would appear, and I want to notice something bad that it says here. Now, listen closely to 15. Okay. It's going to change something. It says... This is uh, Naomi's instructions to Ruth, right? Yeah, she's saying, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and back to her gods. Why would she say back to her gods? Because when she was married to her husband, the Jewish boy, she went along with that church, that religious idea. But now that he's dead, she's returning back to all religion. Thus we have the insincere convert. Okay. Uh, so the, their, their word was just for marriage, not for any other reason. Yeah. No sincerity. Uh, 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 in name only uh, sort of a thing, yes. But the other one, the husband's gone, and Ruth meant it, and she's going back. So you've got this contrast going on. And, of course, at the end of... Uh, at the end of the book of Ruth, we have the baby being born through mm-hmm. Boaz. And there's something very interesting takes place, because technically we can take a look at that. But technically, they put the baby that's born in the arms of Naomi and say, here, you have a son. Now, Boaz. Is there an explanation for that as yes, well? Yes. Wow. Sure. And you should know You that. guys, boy, y'all have an explanation for every little detail, every little thing that goes on in life, don't you? That's that's. Well, uh, you should have it, too, because it's in genie, Jesus' genealogy. <laughs> I get it. I, I really do get it. I I, I mean, I, I wasn't saying that in any... Uh, it's just amazing how there's always this... This meaning, this significance. And I take great hope. Uh, I, I love what you're saying there because uh, in my own life experience, I, I was, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to rehearse the details of it unnecessarily, but uh, a little 19 year old uh, Apache Indian girl got pregnant out of wedlock. And uh, time came to give birth. She went up to the big city of Albuquerque, New Mexico, gave birth to this beautiful, bouncing, genius baby boy. <laughs> and then uh, she abandoned me at birth. And another a 50-0, 50-year-old woman came along who had been already married three times, was separated from a third husband, eventually married five times. But uh, she either found me or was involved in some baby selling or something. And she was a fortune teller, crystal ball, tarot cards, and, and, and palm reading, that sort of thing. She found me or and took me in, kept me for five years, passed me around to 16 families before I was six years old. But then I was put into this home for homeless and delinquent boys uh, with 400 hairy-legged guys on a 2,500-acre ranch and uh, did the cowboy thing uh, up there. I was a cowboy and an Indian. Uh, and <laughs> you can do both, right? And um, 
So what I'm trying to tell you is that, uh, you know, my background was kind of messed up and all this sort of thing, too. And uh, but when I was eight years old, I made a choice to to follow after God and and to uh, to trust in the Messiah as my savior and begin to walk in a relationship with God, uh, the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And and uh, and, and of course, that's transformed and shaped my entire life. Now, 60 years later, I'm still following uh, the Savior and still following the Lord and serving Him. But in other words, what you're saying here, really, I take it very personally because that's right. We make our own decisions, our past. We don't have to be uh, shaped and formed and and controlled by our past. bad decisions or unfortunate uh, occurrences and so on we can we can each make our own decision about and and start anew and fresh and and uh, and God promised he takes us and changes us and so on so i i agree with what you're saying i i uh, in fact uh, emotionally i do i think that's an important principle and so would that 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 would be i guess a central point of the go- of the gospel of ruth the book of ruth right would be what you're telling us now would be a very important uh, aspect of that entire story, right? Was the idea of God taking... It does, but it also deals with the issue of sincerity. Okay, yes. So uh, some people, I mean, you know, I mean, you see, uh, there's, I'm not going to say his name, but there's one guy that comes on real late night on TV, and I, I get so angry at that guy. <laughs> he is a real huckster. Uh-huh. All he wants is money, money, money. Send me a thousand. Send me a thousand. Let's plan a thousand, and you're going to get this. You're going to, people are going to give you a hundred watches. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, there must be some really sad, lonely, hurting people Who would, that I just want need something so bad. They're taken in by the suckster, and they send him money. And I'm just thinking, gosh, uh, that is so wrong. At any rate, yeah. I think I would be comfortable in saying he's not sincere. Well, the one, the one sister-in-law here is not sincere. Obviously, Ruth was. Now, one of the interesting things is that we know that Ruth, uh, the first, uh, the baby's name was Obed, or in Hebrew, Oved, which is actually means like servant of God, something like that. That was their child's name, Obed. Yes, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Now, Boaz was the, what you might call the biological father. Uh-huh. But the son is considered the son of... Naomi's dead son. That's right. So I'd forgotten that because Boaz became the um, the not surrogate, uh, not surrogate father, but he, he, he's a, what they call a kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer, yes. And so that the under the na- na- not not Nazarite. Uh, there's a word I'm looking for. Le- leverite. Leverite, yeah. Uh, the leverite. And in Hebrew, uh-huh. the word is yibum. Same uh-huh. thing as leverite. That's why when they went through that. That story that's told about her lying at his feet and him meeting with the other person at the gate of the uh, sure. there was this ritual there was this thing that had to take place about a, a shoe had to be taken off and something like that right well yes and you'll see the same thing occurs in the, actually in the Christian scriptures in the New Testament don't you remember no yes when was a shoe taken well off? they come to John the Baptist and they say. Here's him, and, he, and John the Baptist at the Jordan River, because uh-huh. he's, been, he's a real Levite, he's been kicked out of the temple. Uh-huh. He says, I'm not fit to untie his shoe. What's he referring to? Okay. You got it? Well, I always thought he just meant, 
I'm not even fit to untie well, his shoe. Well, sure, well, unless we unless we know what these stories mean. But true to form, like I told you, there's some significance to all these little details. And so that what did that mean? What was John well, trying to communicate? Uh, the guy who does not want to accept his responsibility, he he gets his shoe unlaced and he takes his shoe off. And this actually happens in the story of, Naomi, of uh, Ruth and Boaz. There is somebody that's a predecessor that should be the closer kinsman redeemer before Boaz. But he says in the story in chapter 4, well, I'll buy her property, but I don't want to get married because uh-huh. he's worried about his posterity. Yeah. And Boaz says, well, no. And it's in chapter 4. He says, I will, uh, I'll, I'll buy her property. And I will marry her. And I'll take her on as part of my family so, inheritance. Yeah, That's right. The now, other person did not want to cut her into his so inheritance. So what did they so. do with that guy? They took his shoe off of him because he refused to do it. So when John the Baptist says, I'm not, I can't undo his shoe. In other words, I cannot be the Messiah. If I took his shoe off, he's not the Messiah. I am. So, so we see that that was John the Baptist clearly uh, saying, I, as he did later verbally, right. I'm not the Messiah. You know, he, yeah. I'm not fit to take a shoe off. I, oh, my lads. It means more than just, you know, he's he's a great guy and I'm not even worthy to well, untie his right. shoes. And you'll see it throughout. And in fact, in, in Deuteronomy, and I believe it's chapter 25, it gives in about three verses the formula for removing the shoe. Right. Uh-huh. What it means. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So it's there in the Torah. Well, I knew it was there, but I didn't ever identify it when I have read that statement about John the Baptist saying I'm not well, see, a, I'm not in, worthy in, in the story about Ruth she, the one that should have been he she takes his shoe off uh-huh, uh-huh. So, in other words uh, if this man is denying his responsibility be the near the closest kinsman mm-hmm. and he's forcing me to have a life and a child that can only walk with one shoe very interesting. And so, Boaz comes back and says, no, I'll marry her. I'll buy the land. I'll do it. I'll be the kinsman sure. redeemer. The same thing gets repeated with John the Baptist. And, and so in that function, though, the son, uh, Ovid, becomes a son of the, technically, of the first right. husband, the that's Jewish right. husband yes. of Ruth. That's right. Ah, that's a good reminder. Great, great, great stuff, Jacob. You're on your, you're on your, uh, you're, you're strong tonight. That's great. Uh, folks, there's our music. We've got to take a visit. I'm going to come back. I'll tell you a little um, Native American saying that kind of goes along with this shoe talk. And uh, you can give us a call, 340-9585. We'll be right back. Listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. And one was a shepherd on the green. And of course, Jacob. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, folks. We're back for our final segment. 340-9585 is the phone number if you'd like to call in. Uh, we are, though, into a discussion. I want to continue, if I can, and I want us to talk a little bit about the opening chapters of the book of Luke tonight, if we can get to it. You say that's a, a good um, a good matching uh, between the Hebrew Scriptures and the, uh, and the New, uh, the 
the book of Ruth and the gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke actually references mm-hmm. Ruth. Isn't the, in the genealogies given genealogies given to us of of uh, Jesus in the Gospel of Luke? Uh, of course, Ruth is mentioned. She's right there. So um, I want to come back. I, I was telling you, you you made me think of a uh, of an old saying. I think all of our listeners would have, and you will remember the saying. Uh, let me see. Don't judge a person until you walked a mile in his shoes. Moccasins, yeah. In his moccasins, yeah. I, I think uh, I, I heard a version of that, uh, kind of a Native American version. If you're if you're trying to judge if a person is your friend or an enemy, uh, that you don't judge that person until you have walked a mile in his moccasins, because that way, if he turns out to be your enemy, after all, he's a mile away and doesn't have any shoes on. So. <laughs> it's a good, uh, it's a good tactic, I, I guess. What don't you think? That? Is I that do. is that was what behind the uh, the Jewish idea of taking yeah, the shoe? Yeah, you think? of course, uh, <laughs> of course it was. In fact, I'm wondering if that particular Indian that made that up wasn't named Nike. <laughs> it might have been. I bet it was. Well, anyway, we're, we're talking about uh, Ruth and Boaz, and we're talking about the, this uh, well, the, son the Obed. Is, yeah, could we just finish one last thought? Sure. Okay, now we know that in the last chapter of Ruth, and we know that in the New Testament, she's listed in the genealogy of Jesus, because Jesus is a descendant of David, as the story goes, right? Yes. Okay, so here uh, it says, uh, it says uh, she, there, this little boy will be named Oved, or Obed, and uh, then there will be, he'll be the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. So it's the fourth generation down. Okay, okay yes. Now, the other sister-in-law, Orpha, mm-hmm. she goes back, and four generations down, she has a child. And that child is Goliath. We are setting the stage for the war between David and Goliath. Ah, that's right. I remember that now. Vaguely in the back of my mind, I had not right. connected all those dots. That so, um, Yes, and, and now so, that we've connected the dots, we just have one big black A descendant picture. of Ruth is David. A descendant of, of the sister Orpha is Goliath. And look at the decisions they made. Isn't that fascinating? So, uh, you have Goliath, who is really... What we would call, actually, because he's very large, he's got six fingers, six toes, all that mm-hmm. business. And he is a Nephilim. Mm-hmm. He really is. He's one of the. He's one of those guys, wherever you think they come from. Mm-hmm. So here, David actually has to fight him. And when David kills him, he cuts off his head. He takes his head to Jerusalem. You'll find this in the Book of Kings. Mm-hmm. And he takes it and he buries it in Jerusalem. Now... You should be very happy about this. Centuries later. Centuries later, when uh, Jesus, the descendant of David, comes and he gets crucified on the cross. He's crucified on the place of the skull, or Golgotha, which was the Latin way of saying Goliath from Goth. So, and it says the world, the hill he's on spits Goliath from, what we say, Goth, Gath, G-A-T-H, okay. and that's uh, so. It, that's and, it, and, it, and it's also called the Hill of the Skull. Skull. The skull. Whose skull? Goliath. Goliath. Okay, so that's what's going Golgotha, on. Yeah. So you see, the story is fit together very well. This was not prepared by an amateur. So anyway, but so you've got this entire story going. So there's something very interesting which shows there was an insincere convert that actually 
four generations later, produced some very nasty offspring. Uh, then there was the other one that made the sincere decision, and she comes also from the Moabites. And she isn't, no, she's accepted. The purpose of this story was to illustrate to hopefully all people, and especially at this time, the Jews, mm-hmm. that if a person sincerely converts this woman, she would be fully accepted as part of the nation of Israel. So one of the things that always troubles me is when I hear the stories, and I hear them, I'm sure you have, that the Jews were prejudiced against women, that uh, they didn't like converts, they always thought that Gentiles were less than them. That's just not true. And I'm always wondering... I am going to share a little personal thing with you, may I? Sure, please. I like, I love personal so I, stuff. I always wonder. Because let's say that, uh, that if a guy that says that kind of stuff and teaches that kind of stuff, he's slandering, uh, let's say, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And let's say he gets to heaven. I suppose Jesus is there. I just have this picture. Jesus is going to look at him and say, would you like to explain why you were saying everything I taught and the Torah and God's law saying converts are welcome, why you were saying they weren't? Would you like to explain that to me about my people? <laughs> Where were you? Uh, no, I don't think I would want to be in that position. Uh, but, uh, okay, that's... That's my personal thought. Well, see, that, uh, that really adds to my understanding of the book of Ruth. That Deeper, this year than even in the past, I think, Jacob. This has been good. You, you've uh, you, you really explained in more detail. Now, uh, one, one question I have is, how do you know these connections, like uh, Goliath and, and, and you said the... And, and I, what I'd like to ask... I know that, about Moabites. I know, yeah, about, I know, I know. about... Uh, I'd like to ask in return, how is it that you don't know? <laughs> funny, funny. It's written down. I know, but we just don't... I don't know how in the world. You know why? We miss those. You know why? Because the Jews concentrate on this. And as we were talking earlier, I don't think you necessarily have to have all these details in your head. But for me, the details help because it helps oh. refine my faith. There is no there is no denying that this is enriching, this is un- of our understanding, uh, no doubt about it, but we just don't catch that connection between Ruth and, and of course, Ruth and David we do. Ruth and that that we catch because we're, we're sort of fascinated, and I think the big lesson that we get uh, as uh, Gentile believers, and as you say, sincere converts right. to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is right. that we see uh, the the sovereignty of God over His redemptive plan. Yeah. He it will not be denied; it will not be cut off. God is going to He is going to bring the Redeemer, the Messiah, into the world, and He all these twists and turns, and and, and, I, and we see. Uh, and I don't think we imagine. I think we see as well in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, we see the constant, constant attempt to cut off uh, the people of Israel, to cut off Israel, to destroy Israel, to destroy, and if not the whole nation, to destroy that lineage, uh, the lineage uh, uh, that is supposed to lead us to Messiah, the Redeemer. And so we we see that, and we see how God in his sovereignty guards and protects and causes uh, the the redemptive plan to be carried out, carried out and carried through. So we see that in Ruth as a in a dramatic way that that and, wow. And you got to remember, especially as you apply it in the Christian scriptures mm-hmm. in the New Testament, you got to remember that you're Jewish by your mother, your mama. Uh-huh. 
That's right. But your tribe comes from your daddy, your father. So, this principle we've been studying about Boaz, he may have been the biological father of uh, Obed, Obed. But technically, this child is really of the lineage of Naomi's dead son. Mm-hmm. Ah. Now, if you carry that principle forward, by the way, when's it, when does this first occur in the Bible? Do you know? Uh, first that, occur what? Uh, that there's this Levite marriage. Hang on. I know. I think I know. Let me okay, see. Well, well that was uh, Judah. No, no, no. That was uh, it's very. You get. You're headed the right direction. Okay. Right. That was. Um, that was. That was. Um, uh-huh. Is that other guy? <laughs> how, how could you be more correct? Right. It was that other guy. Yeah. Tell me where. Uh, Abraham and Sarah. Uh, oh. Abraham and oh, that's right. Uh, the uh, uh, are we talking about Ish- Ishmael? Yeah, no, no, we're actually talking about Sarah. Uh, Sarah herself. No, it's it's one of those things you don't catch and nobody unless you spend time and concentrate on it. You miss it. But now carry that forward to the Christian scriptures. You've got Joseph, right? Yes. Remember, you get your tribe from mm-hmm. your father. Mm-hmm. God is not in the Christian scriptures or even in the Jewish scriptures. God is not a member of the tribe of Judah. But he's Jewish because Mary, his mother, is Jewish. But God is not from the tribe of Judah. And yet the prophecy is he must be from the tribe of Judah. So we have his father, ostensibly his father, Joseph. Joseph. Uh huh. And uh, he is in the line of kings. All those people you're reading in that third section are all kings of Israel. Now, they don't have the office, they don't have the mm-hmm. throne, they don't have the power. All but they're in the lineage. But they are in the lineage. So Joseph is in the lineage of the tribe of Judah and the line of kings. Isn't that fascinating? Yes, it is. Now, but we have a problem in that, in that genealogy. There's something has happened in there that tells us, and if you understand the genealogy, these things are boring to so many people, but they unravel the story. They're becoming far less boring to me, I, I can tell well, you, over so the years. So something now. that happens. So the story, uh, you can be a king, but you cannot be a son of God. So Joseph, let's... As the story goes in Christian scriptures, and I've I, heard you say that before, and I, I'm, I'm and I, this time I'm really want, trying to catch it. Yeah, that's right. And I want to be respectful and accept for our conversation mm-hmm. exactly what Christians think, and mm-hmm. you correct me. Mm-hmm. Uh, God and Mary had a baby, Jesus, mm-hmm. but God's in heaven. There has to be a Levite marriage on earth. That's Joseph. So you, what you're seeing here occurs again in the book of Luke mm-hmm. and in the book of Matthew. Now, why is that important? Because if Jesus is the let's say earthly adopted son mm-hmm. in the sense of a Levite marriage, okay, what does he get from Joseph? Joseph's his shoe. <laughs> no. <laughs> God doesn't take off his shoe for Joseph. No, no. Well, the point is what he gets is, is uh, 
if he's Joseph is not the biological father, as the story says, right? It was exactly. God, but he adopts him as his son, and he inherits something from him. And what does he inherit? The tribe of Judah and the line of kingship. That's what the story is about. Now you now it fits the Christian narrative mm-hmm. that Jesus is the Son of God and Mary, and a descendant of David. And he has to have this Levite marriage of Joseph, so he can inherit. Two things, the tribe and the kingship. Now the story fits together. Oh, yeah, more beautifully than ever. I've always known that. Uh, If I understand correctly, Mary as well is in the descendants. Well, actually, Mary comes through the line of Solomon. Mm -hmm. Yes, and... And there is a king. Not that I've actually read this. <laughs> and there is a king in that lineage. Now, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, there is a king in that lineage of Solomon that was that it was said that no son of his That's would right. ever be a, a king, sit That's on the right. throne. Right. I think it was one of the last kings. Uh, his name was Konia. Yeah. And that's how... Th- so th- if you've got these two promises, these two prophecies, one, David, you're always going to have a king on the throne. and But except in the line, you can never have a king on the throne. How can you resolve that? Well, who put this together was not an amateur. So then the resolution is, I can find a way through the, what we're reading in the book of Ruth, the uh-huh. Levite marriage, uh-huh. like Boaz and Ruth. Uh-huh. The same thing goes on, Joseph and Mary. Then Jesus inherits the kingship and the line of Judah. And you've also got the, the idea that then it's sacrosanct that you can have the Mary having the child of God and Jesus being the son of God. So you see all these things fit together. But if you don't understand what Ruth is about and the other rooms, and as you said, Judah and Tamar, uh-huh. and some of these, if you don't get that, if you don't catch it, you will read the stuff about the genealogy of Jesus and mess the entire interesting story. Right. Uh, it is, it, it's more than interesting. It is fascinating. It is just amazing how God... It, it, it carries out this redemptive plan. If we say that you know, it is said in the New Testament, at least Jesus was the Lamb sacrificed from before the foundation of the world. I mean, there was this plan, this this uh, redemptive plan that we talk, this narrative that runs all the way through the Scriptures. Uh, I, I remember the great pastor, first ba- Dr. Chris Willa, First Baptist Church, uh, Dallas, used to talk about and wrote a book about the scarlet thread through the Scriptures. And uh, if there is this scarlet, this redemptive plan of God for all of humanity, uh, you know, it, it, it's going to make sense, and it's go- and it and it does, and it's so beautiful to to watch it. Well, let's jump over from Ruth. I think it, it is I right. Think, okay. It's, it's I, a it's I a jump to uh, Luke. It's a very good transition then from Ruth to yeah, Luke because Luke is as you uh, has stated that it has to do with perhaps written by as as you ascertain a non-Jew. Mm-hmm. That's the understanding. And, uh, and yet he had to be very much up to speed because he, this this genealogy, he, he well, understood it. He's, uh, uh, he's not stupid. Uh, I assume he was a convert, a uh, yeah. Gentile well, convert. Well, he knew something. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, of course, we know there are two books in the Old Testament, the Tanakh, mm-hmm. that talk about uh, people who are not 
Jewish, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and people, but they're still accepted. But people don't know that. But now here in the book of you're Luke, talking about authors, yes, written uh-huh. by yes, people uh-huh. who are not yeah. Jewish, yeah. And there are, in fact, one of them is one of the children that died and came back to life. Mm-hmm. Was brought back to life, I should say, by Elijah. Uh, that was uh, not, um, that. I'm trying to remember who that was. Habakkuk. 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 Okay, but okay. over here in in Luke, mm-hmm. now what you got is you got the the story coming up, and you've got something fascinating. So, in the first place, the whole book is written and dedicated to Theophilus, uh-huh. which was either a real person. We, uh, but I've understood that it probably wasn't. It was a. It means friend of God, and so he's writing to people yes. who love God. In fact, that's the way the Book of Revelation is addressed. The same way. Uh-huh. So, and in, in the movie starring the old Irish actor uh, Richard Harris, uh-huh. I used to have that movie before I was robbed. What movie? Uh, it's called. Uh, it's called John. Okay. You're talking about Revelation now, the Revelation. Uh, yes, uh-huh. but at any rate, so Richard Harris is in there, and he, and in there, he addresses his letters to Theophilus. Uh-huh. And it's, in other words, he's calling everybody, like today, will say, hey, brothers. Yeah. So I think I agree with you. I think he's addressing it like that in general as opposed to individual. Uh-huh. To those who, who love God and right. so on. And you're right. What, the, what we got here is if your understanding is correct, Luke is a convert, shall we say, and he's writing to be inclusive of other converts, then that carries the theme over directly from the book of Ruth. Yeah, exactly. And he also wrote the, the book of Acts, which is the follow-up to this, yeah. uh, recording a historian uh, I've heard and read. That Luke was, of course, educated, and so and he was a historian, a first-rate historian. That he put details, he put dates, he put names uh, in his uh, in the Gospel of Luke, and also in, in the Book of Acts. That help us to understand the, really the context of, of the writing. Now he starts his book off <clears throat> with his genealogies. <coughs> Excuse me. But also, uh, he starts the book off talking about uh, this interesting individual, John the Baptizer, uh, that uh, evidently, who is a son, he is indeed a Levite. He is the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, to both uh, Levites as well. And the one thing you've helped us to see through uh, through time now is that the the decadence, the corruption that existed here in this time uh, of Jewish history, because of the reign of Rome, the the religious system of, of the Jews was uh, corrupted. The, the This was one of the times when we see there were, there are actually two high priests. There's Annas and then his son-in-law Caiaphas. Caiaphas uh-huh. And so you have these two. Uh, one has been imposed. Annas, I think, was the legitimate uh, high priest. But Caiaphas, He was actually removed when Pontius Pilate came in. I see. But he was still the ostensible functioning high priest. Right. Uh, by the way, neither he nor Caiaphas are from the tribe of Levites. So I see. So, so they bought the office, they're collecting money, we're all dividing up the money. So they're crooks, Herod's a crook, Rome's a crook, All the whole business. And Caiaphas is placed in there right. by, by okay. Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate. Okay. So the history is, is that I'm not... Uh, Annas, uh-huh. uh, he's take he's he was there until Pontius Pilate came and he appointed his own guy, 
Caiaphas, but he's still in the same family, son-in-law. It's the son-in-law, son-in-law. of Annas. Uh-huh. So you got all these people that are not Levites. We know that the priests are supposed to be Levites. Well, we have John the Baptist, who is, as we learned in the book of Luke, he's 100% on both sides of his family, Levite. And yet he's not in the temple. He's down at the Jordan River. Yeah. A little muddy, a little muddy tributary. And how come he's not in the priest? Because they killed a bunch of the real priests, and, and the rest they let go so they could, they could spread the word that, hey, man, all the priests have been killed except for us they let go. So John the Baptist is down there, and being confronted with all that killing that's going on, he still is dedicated to actually doing the right thing that a priest should be doing. And preaching to the people, right. repentance, look and, for the kingdom the, of God. And, of course, Jesus comes, and they meet, and they say, well, and, the, and they say, he says, well, uh, I'd like to be baptized by you. But Jesus corrects him says, no, you've got to baptize me because we're going to do all righteousness. And why all righteousness? It's because Jesus would have broken God's law had he baptized John the Baptist. Jesus is from the... not a Levite. That's right. There you go. And so he says, but for all righteousness... And, and of course, there's also another background story, as John has been told uh, by God, revealed to him that when you see the Spirit of God descending upon someone in the form of a dove and so on, and and hear the voice of God, I think it was just the the dove, Uh when you see that, you'll know that this is the Messiah. John is that, that forerunner, the one who would come, the herald who would come before the king, they would announce the coming of the king. And so John sees that. Uh, that's why it's recorded there at the baptism of Jesus. He sees that sign, and he knows then that Jesus is that uh, the, that Messiah. That's yeah. his understanding. And, and so he begins to uh, sublimate his ministry. It, it's... it's for someone in ministry today, uh, we've been, my wife and I have been in full-time ministry for uh, 46 years with Campus Crusade, wow. and years before that with, I was you in... Got, you guys just cannot hang on to a job, <laughs> can you? <laughs> We're stubborn as we come, as they come. But but the point is, is that uh, we we understand the idea of ministry and people, uh, your, your financial support and your, you know, the, your livelihood and so on. John does something here that's so amazing, he... He turns over his whole ministry. He has he has a very large and following. What, what was he eating? Uh, he was eating mm, some kind of locust and some kind of a bean, some uh-huh. kind of a, honey, honey and locust, honey. Okay, and he's wearing that that prayer shawl made out of camel hair or, or hair. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. Well, that prayer shawl. Either it was passed down or it was made as a model of the one wrote by Elijah in the book of Kings because he's wearing the same thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. So, and he's eating locusts and honey. Why? Now, you're going to love this, and I only got a minute, but I'm going to okay. say, there's only a couple things that are kosher. Because if he's a true priest, and I expect him to be kosher. Uh-huh. There's only a couple things that are kosher that come from a non-kosher source. One. 
is a mother's milk, a human being. Uh-huh. You don't eat human beings, but yet the mother's milk is kosher for the baby. That's kosher. Uh-huh. The other is honey. Bees are not kosher, but they make honey, and honey is kosher. Now, so we got the explanation that he knows that honey's kosher, but he also knows locusts. And there's probably like over uh, somewhere between 50 and 100 different kinds of locusts, but only one, only one is actually kosher. And in Hebrew, it's a hagol. Hagol. Can you say hagol? Hagol. There you go. Ha. And what does that mean in English? Locust. No, it doesn't. It means, are you ready for this? Hagol, yes. It means snake fighter. Remember the priest yes. he says, you group of vipers. Yes. He's fighting him. He can eat the locusts. You are what you eat. He's saying, I am a snake fighter. I eat the locusts. <laughs> you see what's going on? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Isn't that fascinating? Uh, it is. It truly is fascinating. And Zachariah and, and uh, Elizabeth, uh, he is uh, also a supernatural child in the sense of not, not uh, immaculate conception, not conceived by the Holy Spirit, but... It, it was a miraculous birth that they had this son out of season, and, and they were not able to have children. They were older, I believe. And he was struck deaf, um, dumb. He could not speak until after John was uh, and where born. Was, this is interesting. Quick tie-up. Who uh, was David born? Do you know? David? Yes. David. You heard about him? June the 14th. No. Uh-huh. Yes. Huh? Very, very good. Actually, I can tell you a better date. He was, uh, he was on the... He was born on... Shavuot of Pentecost, when the Ten Commandments were given. And then Jesus comes along and he's the Word. Da, 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 da. Born at okay. the same time? Yeah. No, different. Tell us about who you want the people to okay. have as a parent. Well, remember, people should always be the kind of person they would like to have for a parent. See you next week, folks. And it's brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. 
Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.